Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. But take heed. Dangers await both within and without. Though this be a podcast, you must be warned. 
what Maleva's words will tell you about. Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf's babe blooms and the autumn moon is bright. Welcome to Sitting in the Dark, a podcast brought to you by True Story FM. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Ray Delancey. Joining me, as always, is the ever-popular and handsome Tommy Metz III. <laughs> a rue to you. Oh, well, that's a bad start. Okay. I'm already off the rails. <laughs> and standing over there with the Queen doing the Werewolves of London is none other than Pete Wright himself. Pete Wright. <laughs> elbow, elbow, wrist, wrist. I believe that's how it goes. Elbow, elbow, wrist, wrist. Hi, everybody. Hi, friends. How's it going, fellas? Excellent. Before we dive into this, I want to know from you guys, do you like werewolves? What's your experience with werewolf movies? You know, tell me about your history with werewolves, if you will. You know, I have werewolves were never kind of at the at the top of the of the <laughs> of the horror monster chain for me. And I don't know why. I think I have a guess and it, that in horror, I, I thought the transformations for werewolves, like the effects of werewolves were rough. And that was probably cemented in sure. watching Jack Nicholson in Wolf uh, at the time when it came out, <laughs> like Mike Nichols' Wolf. Uh, and and I, just, I just really struggled with it. Although one of my favorite horror movies, which I kind of can't believe we're not talking about in this series that I only just thought of right now is Silver Bullet. Um, which, uh, which I always love. You know, that was originally yeah. on my list. So, yeah, I, I had so many movies on my list that I had to cut and that was one of them. And I, I apologize. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah they're fine. Wolves are fine. And, um, and I've learned a lot in this series just through what you made us watch. I, um, am really glad that we're doing this because as I've said, the old grump me, I'm not a classicist, and so I haven't, like, I'm not a big monster fan, especially older monsters. But that means, but when I say I'm not a fan, it just means I haven't really given them a shot. Like I said at one point, these are not for me, mummies are not scary, and so I just bounced. But then I'm remembering my favorite film of all time, the music video for a Thriller, <laughs> which I thought was outstanding, and I'm not joking, because if you remember before he became a zombie, he became a werewolf, and that was really good transformation by George Landis. And so there is a part of my heart uh, for werewolves in the same way that there is for a lot of these. I always have trouble getting used to the older movies, but when I meet them at their level, they're a lot of fun, and I'm really glad to do this. So thank you, Ray. It's one of my favorite things about this podcast is being exposed to things that I hadn't been exposed to before. And that's, I'm grateful to you guys for that. And I'm glad that I could be that in some capacity anyway here. So I grew up uh, watching a lot of older movies taped off of TV uh, at my grandmother's house. And one of my favorites, well, one that I had access to was Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, which is the direct sequel to 1941's The Wolfman. Actually, it, they should have just kept Frankenstein out of that movie because that part was garbage. But anyway, um, I, I grew up with Lon Chaney Jr. as the werewolf. Um, I, I always loved the monster movies. And 
I always, when I was in high school, I absolutely loved The Howling and An American Werewolf in London in particular, because I thought that the uh, makeup and the transformation scenes in those two movies in particular were just absolutely astounding. You know, as a teenager, uh, those movies just, uh, I thought there was nothing better. So let's go ahead and talk briefly uh, about where werewolf lore mythology originated. Um, there have been a, a few references in ancient Greek literature and folklore to men changing into wolves, but it really isn't until the Middle Ages that werewolves became more of a widespread superstition, especially in Europe. And even through early modern history, uh, werewolfism or lycanthropy was a crime just like witchcraft was, and it was punishable by death. You know, in Europe, whenever there were witch hunts, they would also hunt people they suspected of being werewolves, and they would these people would be burned at the stake as well. Uh, a lot of brutal crimes, like uh, crimes involving cannibalism and murder, ones that were particularly violent, would be blamed on werewolves. Uh, a lot of times, even people with rabies would be misattributed as having werewolfism. Mm. Wow. Uh, and the modern trope that werewolves are vulnerable to silver actually comes from 19th century German folklore, and likewise, English lore of the time um, held that shapeshifters were vulnerable to silver. So that's where that particular bit of werewolf lore comes from. The Germans were celebrating all of the shifting shapes, not just wolves. Right? Yeah. First I'm this, now yeah. I'm this. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm over here. <laughs> Do we know why silver? My apologies. There was something in one of the movies about how that the pure metal sucks out the bad. Was that, was that correct? That might have been just the movie. That, I think that was To be honest, so yeah. many of these. Okay, okay. yeah. So many of these different tropes are changed yeah. just for a specific movie or altered in a certain way just for a specific movie or book or whatever. And so many of these tropes uh, don't stay consistent. So it's really hard to say. Well, like, for example, across the, the slate of movies, there are there like the is it a is it a curse? Well, it it could be a curse if you're looking at the Wolfman or the aptly titled The Curse of the Werewolf, but also it sometimes spreads like a disease, like an STD. Um, and and so, like, watching how, yeah, and sometimes it's like, sometimes yeah, it's just hereditary. I was just going to say, it's like genetic and they just get it. Right. Yeah. You know, it just yeah. appears. The most fascinating thing to me is whenever you look at these films, like on a timeline, it seems like over time, that the superstitious elements are being weeded out. Whenever the first werewolf movies were made, the first two werewolf movies were silent films. Both of them are lost, but they, the first one in particular sounds really damn cool. Uh, it was from 1913. It was a movie just called The Werewolf, and it was about a Navajo woman who transforms into a wolf in order to carry out vengeance against the invading white settlers. Mm. And so there was a lot there that was not so much the werewolf lore that we know. It was more so like the movie Wolfen, mm -hmm. where the Native American uh, was able to use a wolf spirit to get back at those who had come onto their land. Um, 
Another early but lost werewolf film is Wolf Blood from 1925, in which an injured man receives an emergency blood transfusion from a wolf. Oh, no. <laughs> like, there were no humans available, apparently, so they used a wolf. <laughs> so then this, this guy is... I mean, my dog <laughs> yes, is, is my blood dog. And like, so, I just sometimes when I'm feeling down, I do a little impromptu right? transfusion i think i'm gonna start taking my dog with me with like a little bracelet that says in case of emergency right? just use this dog right. and then after he has the transfusion he's just plagued by dreams of being a wolf and the movie itself is not so much a horror movie as a fantasy and i'm told that it was kind of boring by all accounts but it's lost so i can't really say for myself but the first werewolf film that we have access to is the 1935 film Werewolf of London, which was made by Universal. Uh, and it was the first film to portray an anthropomorphic werewolf as opposed to just a wolf, uh, a regular mm -hmm. animal wolf quadruped. And that movie established the canon that the werewolf always kills what he loves the most. The thing with that movie, though, is that it didn't do so great at the box office. It wasn't popular. And so they just didn't do anything with werewolves for a while after that. At the beginning of werewolf cinema history, so to speak, uh, there's so much more mysticism and ridiculousness and just so much more superstitions around these things. And people, generally speaking, at the time in the 20s and 30s, were much more susceptible to superstition and myth, you know? And over time, it, it's amazing to me how much that has been weeded out of werewolf movies to the point where you, you hear them in movies say like, oh, you just hear about that in movies. Like, oh, I thought you had to kill that with a silver bullet. Nah, it's just in the movies. Mm. And then uh, like Ginger Snaps, for example, you can kill a werewolf. Yeah. By any means, you can hit one with a car. When animals dream, like you guys were mentioning, it just comes down to a, a family ailment that is being passed down genetically from yeah, person right. to person. So that's evolution. That's, that's science. science. <laughs> that's not that's the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is interesting, though. It sort of becomes, and I'm not trying to be, but like a, instead of a god of the gaps, like a wolf of the gaps, like as we are less scared of act, this being real, we start to involve it in make it a metaphor. Yeah. Instead of there's really things out in the woods that are going to eat us because we have yeah. flashlights now. And so instead, it's about puberty yeah. and sexual right. awakening. Uh, I, right, which is right. which is the way that these these things should go. So I like sexual that. awakening and uh, when animals dream, like the curse of legacy, right? Like the the struggles of of right. family and the baggage that we carry. And what's interesting about that? You said something interesting. I was complaining to Tom last night about when animals dream specifically because you said the werewolf always kills what it loves the most, and I think that's why the end of when werewolves dream strikes me as so off kilter, or when werewolves when, when animals when dream animals dream is off kilter because she doesn't. And I wanted, I wanted her to do it. I wanted her to kill him and be alone and celebrate. And Tom was like, no, I like happy endings in wolf movies. I wanted, I did. I wanted one. I like the idea of going through this change. And especially if it's a hereditary change, still being yeah. able to find love. That, that was the only movie that sort of reversed the curse in a way, in a way yeah. that everybody, yeah. well, a lot of people didn't end up happy, <laughs> but after the entire town was killed, 
two people got to get on a <laughs> hairy yeah. boat and well and i use that as an example of look at what these modern more modern movies are doing to to sh- like sh- shake off the shackles of past lore um because that's an example of the werewolf not killing what it loves the most right like i think that's a that's an interesting example and i think that's another great example too of showing how society the people who are watching the movies have progressed you know whereas before something like a personal problem like this wouldn't have been something that you talked about with people this would have been something you kept to yourself uh something that you tried to fix by yourself or you know what i mean it it wasn't really you know how like there's that toxic attitude where, oh, if you're a man, yeah, you can't right. talk about your problems mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, like suck it up and be a man kind of thing. But um, here in the newer movies, you see, like, particularly in When Animals Dream, you know, I think it's kind of cool that here we have this character who has found a, a kindred spirit, somebody who, though he's not a wolf, um, loves her for who she is. And, you know, is trying to help her through it instead of her trying to get through it by herself. Does that make any sense? Instead of being shunned in the earlier movies, uh, both the Wolfman and Curse of the Werewolf have very Frankenstein-y moments where it's pitchforks in the entire town being like, get out of here, get out of here. It It's later uh, with the more modern movies where it's community comes together like there are people there's like a scooby gang trying to help the girl in ginger snaps when when animals dream what's her name uh fish factory magoo gets a boyfriend that kind of thing it's a it's a way of looking past the just let's destroy the other and run them out of town which is uh neat that's jack a cool nicholson evolution. was literally stabbed with a pitchfork yeah. at one point although it was by another werewolf so <laughs> <laughs> who made a better yeah. werewolf jack nicholson or james spader james spader always james spader i think james spader is a werewolf right now in real life. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back and talk about a little bit of these movies specifically. Um, the Wolfman, 1941. Um, I know, Tommy, in particular, have you haven't been into the old movies as much. Uh, what did you think of this one? I thought it was, well, first of all, I thought it was really interesting to go back to an earlier episode. It literally just begins yes. with the book of the vampire. Yes. Just text mm. on screen. Here's what lycanthropy, lycanthropy, <laughs> we never know, uh, is. It's all caught up. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's get wolfy, uh, which I thought was kind of fun. Um, uh, I found it very charming and neat. I liked the aesthetic of it. Uh, I thought it was a pretty cool way to start things. Uh, obviously, there's a good amount of, um, you know, uh, uh, depicting the Romani people in the way that they do doesn't, uh, the what you would call gypsies, uh, but the Roma people, uh, you know, doesn't hold up great. But it's still, uh, for all of that, I thought it looked really good. My favorite part of the movie, if I could just skip ahead, is when the wolfman do it. kills the gravedigger and howls. And the townspeople are like, did you hear that? There's no time to waste. Quick, put on your full suits and ties and let's go search. <laughs> Everyone has to be like, there's no time for an ascot. Just give me my bow tie. And they all run out and they're the best dressed 
like storm the castle townspeople of the entire world. I thought that was incredible. Um, but I like the setup of the good and evil in every man's soul. In this case, it's the evil that takes the yeah. form of an animal. That's one of the quotes from it, that it's that idea. Also, these monsters kind of like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, that the monster in this one can be in us. It's just waiting to be unleashed. Right. And sometimes it can be because of an animal or something, but it's like, we're, it's there. We're all animals at some point. And sometimes it just becomes a lot hairier. Yeah, no, I, I'm with, I, I'm with Tom. I, it was fun seeing uh, Bella Lugosi, Claude Rains, like the whole crew. Um, it, it, sometimes when I watch these movies, especially maybe for this show, it feels like I'm going to a museum and I'm watching a museum exhibit a little bit, like mm. going back in time. Um, it, the movie, this movie, unlike some of the, for example, some of the early Lovecraft films that we watched, like this movie was one that I felt like I was watching like in a diorama because it was it was quaint mm. more than some mm. of the others. And um, it was it was hard to get lost. Okay, and I yeah. think I was feeling yeah. some of what I what I the reason I didn't really get into wolf movies early in life, because I was feeling some of that sort of camp uh, around the character, the monster of the Wolfman, which is a little ridiculous for me. Um, but but I really like the the story. I like the idea of of the family ancestry going home and 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 there's always there's always some sort of family secret, twisted family secret, and I think it plays well here. Um, mm-hmm. So I yeah I I really I enjoyed it. It's fun to see Maria Uspenskaya in here as the the our Romani sorceress, right? That was a neat yeah. uh, a neat yep. addition, and I couldn't help but think like. What is she thinking right now as she's making this movie in particular? <laughs> like, what is going on in her head, given the other stuff that she's done? So I, I really, uh, I thought it was, uh, I, I thought it was good. I really, I enjoyed my time with the Wolfman, and I think it was a nice entry to our series. I wonder what Maria Uspenskaya would think if she knew this was the role she'd be remembered uh, exactly. for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's, it, it's, uh, this is the movie that made werewolves popular. This movie was just phenomenally received. And, uh, Tommy mentioned the townspeople needing to get dressed. Uh, apparently, the werewolf also does because in the first transformation scene, he's wearing a white undershirt as he transforms. And then cut to you see him in the woods and he must have taking the time after he transformed <laughs> right. to put on his button-down shirt right. over oh, yes. the reverse Hulk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he gets more and more dressed. Well, and that's that's a really good point, though, about <laughs> those transformations. Hulk. Like, I thought it was really interesting the way the Wolfman, I guess what I expected in the Wolfman was every time we saw the Wolf, we'd get the the uh, dissolve transformations, and, and we did. That was really, like, saved mm-hmm. for the, the bitter end of the movie. Um, and, and I was, mm-hmm. I was curious about that. Like, why yeah. did we end up, why did they hold back that? It's an interesting use of restraint on this particular sort of ultimately King mm-hmm. editing choice. Well, and I found out that initially this movie was actually going to be really different from what we eventually got. Initially, it was going to be that we never really saw the Wolfman until like the real the very end and we only saw him as Larry's reflection and the whole time we're supposed to be wondering you know is this really happening to him or is it only in his mind kind of like uh, a mystery oh. is he actually turning into a werewolf 
because we don't see any of the werewolves hijinks on screen. We just hear about it after the fact. And um, they ended up changing this because, you know, they wanted to see the monster. They wanted something, you know, that would, you know, draw people in and stuff like that. And But um, actually, that's one of the reasons why the the first werewolf in the movie played by Bela Lugosi appears as an actual wolf or as mm. a dog. He's actually played by a, a, <laughs> a police dog named Moose. No, good boy. What an identity crisis. <laughs> Cause the, uh, I guess the, the dog that they had on set uh, just w- wasn't working out and the police dog w- kind of knew what to do. And, Actually, Lon Chaney Jr. adopted him after they oh, made buddy. this movie. Oh, man. So, that's awesome. That's one of the reasons why uh, Bela Lugosi is shown as a wolf and Lon Chaney Jr. is shown as a bipedal mm-hmm. werewolf on two legs because it, it's, it was initially supposed to be more so in his head, hmm. which I found interesting because I always wondered why the reason, why the difference between those two that never made sense to me but i enjoy the movie and matter of fact you know if there is any movie prop that i could own it would be the wolf wolf head cane from this movie yeah. oh, I, sure. I would love to own that was that not prop. small like you don't have to worry um, about like losing your grip like it's a that was a significant significant artifact one interesting thing that i want to note about this movie is that it also is the first instance that i saw of using the pentagram with a a werewolf in werewolf lore because you don't really see the werewolf associated with uh biblical things that often uh you do sometimes you do sometimes but it's really not that common it's more um European mythology, folklore type stuff than it is, you know, biblical, you know, you're, I was, I don't recall reading anything about werewolves in the Bible, but you know, <laughs> then one last thing that I just want to mention about this movie before we move on is th- the fact that um, at the end, the werewolf is killed by his father, um, someone who loves him. And I, I am mad at myself because as I was watching it the last time, I noticed something for the first time. And that was that the shot of Claude Rains as Sir John beating the werewolf to death with the cane is a mirror shot of Lon Chaney Jr. beating the other werewolf with the cane. It's it's like framed the exact same way, but each one is mirrored. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was really cool. I, and I'm so mad at myself that I never noticed that before my most recent viewing. <laughs> Moving on, there were plenty of werewolf movies in between here, but we're going to move on to The Curse of the Werewolf, 1961 from Hammer. Tommy really liked the the pipe that <laughs> yeah, the guy smoked in this movie. My pipe's ridiculous. And blame him. <laughs> <laughs> it was like an entire scrim show. It was an entire like skeleton of a whale <laughs> that he was smoking out of. <laughs> it was. Um, it was crazy. I did not. I grew up or have lived my life thinking that hammer meant. I know that that hammer meant cheap for some reason. Sure. This movie looked awesome. Yeah. I thought this movie had for its time had a surprisingly good production 
value. I kept waiting Ooh, for yeah. like the sets to fall over or like there'll be just the same person in one costume. But then like the dinner scene, there's so many people in it and it's really covered and it really yeah. takes its time. And I believed that that was sort of like I do not really believed it, but like there were bells ringing when the beggar shows up. I was really taken back. I was waiting for this to be a cheapie, and instead, I was impressed. Yeah, I think, Ray, talk about that a little yeah. bit, because I'm not a huge... I'm, I'm exactly with Tom on Hammer Films. Is this, uh, is, is this what we should have always expected from Hammer Film Productions? Actually, this is um, one of the better Hammer Films, in my okay. opinion, okay. as far as pr production goes and things like that. And I, it was earlier on in their run, too, so you know, they weren't as worried about you know, saving money as they were later down the road. It's a long time before there is even a wolf involved. This movie just goes and goes. They're like, wait, it's called Curse of the Werewolf? Oh, no, I thought it was called okay, so Beggar this Time. Is my, this is my question about this one, just in terms of the story, right? Because the beggar comes, he's begging, he's taunted by the evil royals and thrown into the dungeon for 15 years, something like that. And then he goes crazy uh, because of his long confinement, he sort of turns into a werewolf just by not cutting his hair. And then he rapes the beautiful daughter when they throw her in there. And so was it because the beggar was the werewolf all along? Well, I think it is it is explained when later when we have little boy werewolf and hairy palms and he's like, I'm not hungry because I'm filled <laughs> with kittens. Uh, that someone says... <laughs> Maybe a wandering spirit of an animal got into the boy at the moment of death because he was a weak soul. That is just thrown in there as if he, the, the hairy man, wasn't a werewolf. That there was just a spirit of werewolf around and then jumped in just at the right time, almost like a possession okay, kind of so thing. I kind of got that that vibe but i couldn't tell if it was i it, it almost feels like they're they're hand waving a bit too much when m maybe we're they already had sort of the manifestation of insanity and genetics to create the werewolf maybe they i, I don't understand why they needed to shoehorn that line in the whole story behind how the werewolf came to be on this uh i don't know what how they came to write it this way, but have you guys seen the omen long time, <laughs> long time ago? It's all for you, Damien. <laughs> so this guy basically has the same origin story as Damien. He was born of a woman who was raped by a madman. The baby is unwanted and was born on Christmas day. And so it's considered to be unholy and unwanted. And so this is one of those rare instances where lycanthropy is loosely associated with uh, satanic things. Apart from the Christmas Day, just as a side note, that's also Freddy Krueger's backstory. Mm -hmm. His mom was uh, imprisoned and oh, raped right, right, by a right. whole bunch of creeps. And then he showed up. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I just I like things. <laughs> so you were saying a connection to Satan. Right. And this movie is unique in that regard because, like I said, uh, relating werewolfism to Satanism and, and those things is not that common. Uh, it's not uncommon, but it's not that common. And to make th that the impetus for how we get the werewolf in this movie 
I think speaks a lot to the audience of the time because I think that, you know, this was a an audience who was very, very Christian. This was a, a, a UK movie. So in this in 1961. So I'm sure you had uh, a very heavily religiously influenced audience at the time who really ate this stuff up. There's really not much more to s- that I have to say on this movie other than the um, the werewolf design is very interesting. This is the only time that I have ever seen the the main werewolf be like white haired and he's a very unique looking monster. He looks slightly similar to the, the one that we see in universal's werewolf of London from 1935, but he's much more um, hulkier. He's hulkier. He's uh, hairier and there's, there's more blood. This one can be killed by a silver bullet. The Wolfman, if we sort of agreed that the Wolfman was a bit about the power of mind over body, one of the slight transformations, no pun intended for Curse of the Werewolf, is the quote, well, here is it, a werewolf is a body where the soul and the spirit are constantly at war. So it's less mm. body and mind and more internal rumblings. Your spirit and your soul, it doesn't uh, bother explaining the difference between those two. But again, it's still everything is inside of you trying to get out. And what comes out right. is, yeah, that's sort of what you're fighting against, which is interesting. And this was the first one, I think, I mean, out of the, the first one, this is the two, the the book of the vampire. And this is the priest. And he says the only cure is love. Okay, yeah. So and- The only cure, cure for lycanthropy is love. And this is at 40 three minutes in, I wrote, still no glimpse of a werewolf. <laughs> yeah. Or or even the main actor for that reason. This movie spent a lot of time on the backstory. It really did. Yeah. This kind of felt like two movies that they put together. Next, 1981 was what happened in a huge year for werewolf movies because there were three great movies. People were on a lot of coke. <laughs> I feel like a wolf. We had three werewolf movies that we're going to, and we're just going to touch on these briefly because there's not a whole lot as far as lore or what have you that we can touch on here. But uh, An American Werewolf in London, The Howling, and Wolfen were all three werewolf movies that came out this year. And what a, I wasn't even alive in this year, (laughs) but I I wish that I was because that would have been a great year to be going to the movies to see werewolves. the Howling was the first one to be released. Uh, the Howling, like I mentioned earlier, was a favorite of mine growing up, mostly because I thought that the transformation scene was absolutely phenomenal. The transformation scene was actually originally being done by Rick Baker, but he bowed out to go do an American Werewolf in London. And so Rob Bottin, uh of The Thing fame uh, came in and did the transformation uh, make up for all this and it was crazy because they they used exploding condoms filled with blood underneath the skin to make it look like his uh, skin was like bubbling yeah. and expanding and God. this movie and American Werewolf in London in particular do something interesting they both pay homage to the werewolf movies of the past, while also, I think, trying to distance themselves a little bit from some of that. Um, 
they they try to distance themselves a little bit from some some of the more mystical stuff, especially American Werewolf in London. American Werewolf in London, for my money, by the way, has the best looking werewolf. Uh, I absolutely love the look of the werewolf in that movie. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, do you guys have a favorite werewolf from a movie? I don't. I I mean, I think it's probably American Werewolf in London. I think that's going to be the one. Yeah. Although, um, you know, I think they did some really interesting creature design work in um, the another vampire wolf with sexy leather. Oh, the under, underworld underworld oh underworld <laughs> like the wolves in underworld <laughs> yeah they are uh, that is that's an interesting movie uh, you know to I- explore you know werewolf lore because that movie that movie does some interesting and unique things yeah and they're also sweaty the lichens it's the rise of the lichens like, they're just <laughs> also sweaty it's like sweaty wolves <laughs> um wolfen is one that i included on this list because I thought that it was, it really intrigued me. Uh, I, I really liked that it kind of goes back to that 1913 movie, the, the werewolf with the Navajo woman who's getting revenge on the white people who are invading her land, because that's essentially what we have here. I found it interesting that here in this movie, uh, the werewolf is explained as being a wolf spirit that can be accessed by these people and uh, used to to hunt or in in this case to take out people that are causing their people harm and this has a neat connection to curse of the werewolf uh brian is in the chat and he brought up the idea even though we talked about the idea that the werewolf we don't think comes from the guy in the prison necessarily but that he is treated so horribly that this whole lore starts with cruelty with class differences with certain people being shunned he's thrown in prison and forgotten about so he's just overlooked by history and then go to wolfen and it's about potentially you know native americans being hunted out of existence being pushed away that their hunting grounds is being overdeveloped almost just like a comment on American colonialism. So it's also about that of like that the wolves. Yeah. That uh, it's the problem of uh, either the rich people or advancement or development is, is causing uh, the problems in the beginning that then lead to monstrous changes in people. Yeah, for sure. Really interesting. And I think that connection is, is, is great. The, the movie itself practically is, I mean, it's, it's, it's a neat variation because it's a detective film, right? Like it is a, it's a story about like solving crime. And, uh, and so I think that the, the conflict of throwing in this, this sort of monster element or this, this supernatural element uh, with Albert Finney, who is doing great work. I really enjoyed watching him in this movie. I, I think that, uh, and Mm -hmm. Gregory Hines, I mean, come on, Gregory Hines fantastic yeah. lab tech so I, I think all of that works really well the challenge with the movie i think comes in back into some of the supernatural like i think that is a um it the pacing is impacted pretty powerfully in this movie it goes from being really great and really interesting to super dog slow dog slow uh, right. it, it, yeah. <laughs> it's i i really i i struggled with that i think some of the 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 special effects and the social commentary right on the uh right on the mark uh, the performances awesome narratively uneven and um uh, kind of right. less fun than i expected it to be yep 
you know, it, it seems to me, and this is kind of a general statement about uh, film and TV in general, but it seems to me like this kind of story with um, Native American peoples being, you know, taken out of their land and white people being held accountable was the kind of story that was becoming popular yeah. at this time. Because I just remember seeing a lot of it mm. in, in movies and TV at the time. I. I think almost as as kind of the representation of the Native American character is doing the work of his life. Uh, I I think him running around the city naked is amazing. Looks good, tight, almost tight. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, I think he's an interesting sort of avatar for what we're talking about. Um, and also happens to represent when the movie starts to slow down, right? It's like, I, I mm -hmm. part of it, maybe it's because of the title, I and because 1981 was such a year for werewolf movies, when we don't get a werewolf in this movie, mm -hmm. uh, it's a little disappointing. Yeah. It seems like they're cashing in a little yeah. bit, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it is. Right. Well, I just want to shout out uh, back to The Howling that it was really nice to revisit Dee Wallace, who we've interviewed a couple of times on various podcasts. Uh, she's delightful, and her scream in this movie is the stuff of legends. <laughs> then the last two movies we have are a little similar. Ginger Snaps from 2000 and When Animals Dream from 2014, both with female protagonists, mm -hmm. for a change, and um, both dealing with more um, body-related things as opposed to having been attacked by somebody. I mean, uh, Ginger was attacked, but it, it, the focus is not so much on her attack as it is the transformation. Because uh, what one thing that I find absolutely intriguing about Ginger Snaps is the fact that she gets attacked by this werewolf and her transformation takes a month she gradually changes over a month I, I have no idea what that's supposed to be symbolic of or anything <laughs> <laughs> well yeah and i i mean i mean you want to talk about the slow transformation and the, we, we can also talk about when animals dream right it's it's sort of the same thing as we're watching somebody grow into a new part of themselves and it is it's very much, you know, linked to the lunar cycle, the, you know, menstruation cycle in in uh, ginger snaps and, um, you know, the same sort of sexual awakening in uh, when animals dream. And uh, I thought they were fascinating of the set of movies. I definitely like them for different reasons uh, than than I would like the others. But uh, but I I like them the most definitely of, of the set. Definitely. I, I I'm, I'm right there with you. Um uh, Ginger Snaps, uh, with the exception of American Werewolf, uh, might is my favorite werewolf movie. Uh, and I, I don't know precisely what it is. I, I love the writing. I love the... And I feel like we've already talked about it, but I just love the way that they use the 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 female menstrual cycle as that analogy for the werewolfism. Um, when animals dream... I think is like we started all the way back here with all this mysticism, like I said, and then here we are in 2014 and we have this werewolf movie where this girl is just born with this condition. She's born with this condition. She, she, she 
is in this town where she has no friends. She's stuck at home with her parents. Uh, she, she seemingly has no life uh, other than take, going to work and taking care of her ailing mother. And all of a sudden, now she's put upon by this inherited disease. And she's dealing with that. Um, Tommy, what did you think of When Animals Dream? I largely loved it. I loved the atmosphere of it. I loved how the violence was offset by that real Scandinavian, like, empty frames, nothing's going on thing. It had my favorite... Oh, no, Ginger Snaps. I want to talk about both real quick. Ginger Snaps had my favorite world-building moment where it opens with the death, the death of Baxter, a dog, in this horrible moment okay, where yeah. it's like this. And she goes, they got Baxter! And all these kids in the street look over and then immediately start yeah. playing again. Uh, street hockey, meaning <laughs> meaning this town is yeah. over it. Like it put us in a thing where this has been going on for a while. There's so many dogs being killed and stuff that everyone just knows something's going on. In addition to the, um, let's see, there's two things I wanted to say. In addition to the body changing, these films are also very much about feminism. I don't know if like, you know, feminist werewolf genre, if that's a thing, but this makes a, a play for it because in addition to them changing, growing up, changing, maybe their sexual appetite, growing, all of that thing, they are then treated as monsters. Yeah. And American or any society has a terrible history, of course, of doing that, of having townspeople saying, you're gross. Let's see. Um, yeah, Mimi, so you're doing drugs with guys. Someone thing is definitely wrong yeah. with you. Like they were, <laughs> they were put on this pedestal and then like Carrie, just because of their natural development, we try to keep them like they were pre-transformation and that's just not a possibility. Um, I also like that both Ginger Snaps and When Animals Dream, they're both curses, mm -hmm. but in a very mm, different yeah. way. They call the menstrual cycle a mm -hmm. curse. And I think the mom says, yeah. oh, it's just the curse or something like that. Uh, so the curse being that you are going to grow up, even if society doesn't want you to, you are going to change. And then in When Animals Dream, the curse is hereditary. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if you have mm -hmm. sick parents, it will be passed down to you. So the idea of, of a curse really to go back to what uh, Ray started with, which I love so much of the curse being all mysticism and superstition and otherworldly supernatural things. And then just using that as a there's curses in everyday life. We don't need that. So let's use a metaphor to push it to make it more watchable because no one wants to just necessarily sit around and talk about periods for two hours. But instead, if it's like a werewolf involved, then we can give voice and images to these everyday things that can be very painful. These kind of transformations. I, I think the other side of that too, the note you made about the community being over it. I think both of these movies deal with the, uh, the public reaction to all of the things that these mm -hmm. characters are going through in in a really interesting way in um you know obviously in ginger snaps they're scared of it because this the dogs they're all their dogs are being taken right but they all know it's going to happen and it's a horrifying thing right the dogs become right. this sort of symbol for how terrified everybody is to talk about real life changes uh as a barometer for the community as it changes and grows and in uh, then we go to when animals dream and the community is 
they clearly know about the family. They know about these changes that happened to the family and nobody talks about it, right? It is completely right. shut down when it's obvious to everyone, not just that it's happening, unlike in Ginger Snaps, the dogs are happening. They also know why. They know that the mother is responsible to it. They know how to see when the mother is making changes, check her fingernails, check her gums, right? All of those signals are sent as a function of the community trying to hide from reality. And I think that is such mm. a fascinating bit of commentary on this. Um, the, the other two, the other thing that, that sets these movies apart just sort of subjectively is monster design, right? In, in uh, Ginger Snaps, it's a, a horrifying kind of more along the lines of the sweaty kind of monster dog. Um, and, mm -hmm. and definitely they didn't, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they made choices with what looks to be possibly limited creature budget and made the creature that they had. And mm -hmm. we have yeah. the much more sort of, I don't know, elegant, you know, fur design of uh, When Animals Dream, which I thought was uh, really exceptional. They, we also had more, uh, looks like CGI hints insinuating themselves in the the when animals dream when her back is when she's like writhing and her back is going right. and you see the rippling. rippling down her spine of the fur as it comes out most of the stuff with her is just makeup but some of those effect sequences i think were incredibly effective uh in when animals dream absolutely yeah absolutely wrapping up then th this is just an extremely interesting subgenre of horror to me e even though the tropes are never really consistent and the reasoning behind the mythology and the lore changes over time the one thing that doesn't is that this is about the duality of mankind mm -hmm. this is about the evil inside this is about uh, love versus evil. And uh, because it's not so tied down to any kind of specific occult or Satanism or anything like that, I think that it can be used as, you know, a, a, as an allegory for all these other everyday things, like in Ginger Snaps and When Animals Dream. And, you know, it, it will be so easy to make werewolf movies for a very long time for that reason. It's, it's interesting to me, Ray, because you, I mean, you watch a lot of these classic films. Where does the werewolf rank in the classic monster lore? Because, I mean, we get the same sort of duality of man in Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, there's the internal sort of transformation, coming of age, puberty, sexuality in vampire movies, right? We've, like, this one... It almost seems like part of the reason it is so free to play with the the tropes is that maybe it wasn't as uh, sort of solidified uh, when they started making movies about it than, sure. say, vampire yeah. lore. Is it that they didn't have as good of a book of the vampire for wolves that they could do whatever they want? They weren't shackled by everything. Sure. That's an interesting point. I like that. And another thing is, whereas, say, Dracula novel, was right. based on a novel, you know, none of this, this really wasn't. You know, people are really making, each screenwriter is making this up as they go along, unless it's based off of, you know, a, a, another fictional work down the line, you know, like 
uh, Wolf. You're saying the original Werewolf wasn't an executive at a publishing house? Weird. <laughs> well, <laughs> weird. That's an outstanding point. And as Brian just uh, put in the chat, how the transformations work and how werewolfism, for lack of a better word, is passed on and the rules involved change. Yeah. They're pretty inconsistent. And that does, that is, that could seem random, but I like yes. the word freeing. I like that, that it's, it is a an object, kind of a blunt object that you yeah. can then morph to tell whatever kind of story that you want to tell. That's interesting. I like well, that, and I yeah. think 1981 is a, is a great example of that, right? Because here we have a year right. where everybody thought, let's make something different. Let's We're going to take our own, we're going to make, you know, werewolves and wolves a, a platform for just play and and try something different in each of these movies. And, mm-hmm. and also then in some cases do a lot of coke and see what happens next. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's really, really interesting. And it's not just 81. I mean, obviously silver bullet comes around in 1985. Like these, some of the, the big movies in the eighties, um, you know, the big werewolf movies are really pushing in, in interesting directions about what they can do with the lore. I, I think it's fascinating. I'm really glad we did this particular series. And honestly, like I, I, we, we did so many across so many years, but there are there are enough that I feel like we missed. I might want to, I definitely want to go back and revisit some of these movies, um, you know, uh, watch some other ones. For now, today, I'm a little bit werewolfed out. Happily, happily yes. werewolfed out. Enthusiastically. Yes, I have shaved down my teeth. I have taped down my tail. <laughs> that, was, that was a ginger snout. <laughs> it was so good. They have tails that are slowly growing. And I thought that was amazing. What a great bit. What a yeah. great bit. Take the tail. You got to take the tail. All right. Thank you so much for uh, joining me on this, guys. This was uh, a really fun conversation to have. Thank you, Ray. This was great. And I would not, because I'm me, I know I would not have seen these movies had you not suggested them. And I am all the better for it. So thank you. We do have to talk about what's coming next. And it's not me. It's me. (laughs) And I'm going to talk like this the whole time. Yes, I do not have a name for it yet, and I do not have all of the movies yet. We will be going deep, not wide, and what I would like to discuss is the evolution of the epistolary tradition found in in books like Dracula, Frankenstein, how the whole book's made up of that the form is the function. It's notes, okay. it's charts, it's diary entries, and how that has changed in the modern film era with things like found footage and and uh, the relatively new genre of that is called screenlight with movies like uh, unfriended things like that that we are actually going to be taking movies where the form is the point and how it changes you and your relationship to the people to the characters how it can really make fear change in a different way and so that is what what fascinating subject area oh good i'll say i'm going to make you watch three to four films there's a lot of options but i'm going to narrow it down but number one with a bullet to start it off of course because we're not doing a a history of found footage but we will almost certainly start with blair okay and start okay there uh and that's it so uh, we will be doing that someday in the future. And I look forward to <laughs> us all too. doing that. I am waiting with bated, bated breath. breath. Oh, oh, good. Uh, this has been really fun. Ray, thank you so much for your uh, tutelage and tour uh, through the thank um, you, Ray. through the litter. We'll call it the litter. Thank you. Uh, of werewolf movies. 
Can I, is that fair? Is that too gross? Anyway, uh, this has been super fun. Thank you, everybody, for hanging out and, and, and downloading and listening to this show. We sure appreciate you doing that. Don't forget uh, to do all the stuff you do with podcasts. We're still a pretty new show. And if you want to uh, share the show and, and tell tell a friend, tell phone a friend, and tell them about the werewolves or all the other stuff we're doing on Sitting in the Dark, we sure appreciate it. Don't forget, if you'd like longer ad-free episodes of the show, visit thenextreel.com slash membership and subscribe. For a few bucks a month, you'll have access to the beefier show, plus the triple secret Discord channels on the True Story FM server. We would love to have you there. On behalf of our teacher this week, Ray Delancey, and the most handsomest ever in the world, Tommy, that <laughs> handsome Mets the third. Oh. I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next month right here on Sitting in the Dark. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January, or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Music